I want you to, if you got some notes, I want you to pull those out, and we're going to jump into today's message, and, uh, and, and I'm going to give you the first thought right out the gate if you want to write this down, and that is that relationships matter. Relationships matter. And this is where we're going to begin today. We are going to look at why God created relationships, and really, I believe it's because we all need people. Um, you need people, I need people, we all need people. Um, I need you, you need me. We're one big happy family. Um, and so, come on. Now, here's the deal. Because you and I have been bruised and burned and betrayed. Who's been bruised, burned, or betrayed by people? Yeah, okay. So if you've been bruised, burned, or betrayed like me, there's a tendency for us to say this. I really don't. I really don't need people. I, I really don't. I don't even want people. Um, how many of you in here, let's just be honest, how many in here, it takes a little bit, like, like, you know you have to deal with people, but you really don't like people. Like, it's okay. It's all right. Okay, good. All right. There's, <laughs> so we are, it's honest, okay? This is where it is. Um, and then there's others of you that absolutely love people, but for many of us who've maybe been bruised or battered or betrayed in some form, it's, it, it, there's a tendency for us to go, I really don't want to be with people. But I'm here today to tell you that God's want you to be with people, and we see this from the very beginning. So Genesis chapter 2, watch what this says. Genesis chapter 2, after he made Adam, it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, that man should be alone. Now, here's the deal. Adam wasn't alone. He had animals. He had orangutans he could hang out with, I mean, ride elephants. I mean, he wasn't alone. He, he had stuff to do. He had a job. He was, he was, he had a job. I mean, he was busy. So he had stuff. What, 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 why did God say he didn't need to be alone? Well, here's the truth, that God knew that Adam needed help. That was a chance for every wife in here to say amen. And so, so God knew that Adam needed help. Now, I, I want you to hear me closely because God did not create Eve because Adam needed a spouse. God created Eve because she brought value to him and to the world. And I'm, I'm, listen, to all the women in here, you have value. You, you make the world better. You make the world better. And, and that's, why, that's why it says when the Bible says when a, when, a, when, a, when a husband finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And, and I call it a thing, not a thing, but a good thing. And, so, and, and she brings value. And so, so God knew this, ready? Adam could not fulfill his purpose without Eve. She was a purpose partner. She wasn't, just, she wasn't just eye candy. She wasn't just someone that just takes care of stuff at the house. Like she added value to his life. She added value to this world because he could not do it alone. And God said, you're gonna, you're, you need people. I need people. We all need some people that are going to help add value to our life, that are going to help us fulfill all that God's called us to do. And Proverbs says it this way. Watch what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, now you know the quickest way, the quickest way to catch a cold is to be around other people who have a cold. It's the quickest way. You want to get a cold? Go to public school. And um, <laughs> is that true? Just pray for all the teachers and all the kids. Like, actually, like, we have to be really cautious with Joel, our youngest son, because he's on a lot of medication and, and um, you know, been through a lot of just different things in his health. And so Lindsay will often have to get reports from his teacher how many people are cold. I mean, how many people are sick? How many people are sick? Who's throwing up? <laughs> Anything? And we've got to get reports because we know that we can't 
keep our son in that environment because if he can get in that environment, he can catch things very quickly. Now, here's the question. How do you catch negativity? You hang around people who are negative. How do you, how do you catch a critical spirit? You hang around people who are critical. How, 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 do you, you know, how do you catch some of these things? But hey, here's the other thing. Man, how do you catch fire for the things of God? Hang around people. Are y'all with me? Like, you catch what you're around. They, they, they say that actually, the, if, you, if you were to write down your, your friends, um, then you are the sum total of the top five people you hang out with. You are the sum total of the top five people that you hang out with. And this, this passage is telling us, whoever walks with wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools suffers harm. And he's, he's telling us that your spiritual, emotional, financial, and professional well-being is directly impacted by who you have in your life. Let me put it this way, ready? There's no such thing as neutral relationships. What do I mean by that? Every person in your life is either helping you or hurting you, pushing you or pulling you. There are no, there's no neutral relationships. Everybody's gonna do one or the other in our life and, and you, you need to make sure that you're very aware of the people that you have in your life. And so this series is all about relational intelligence. Now, how many of you know some people who are book smart, like super smart, like did not have to study but ace the test? How many hate those people? Okay, any, any show of hands? Just, they, they never studied. And you studied for hours and flunked it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just people who aced it. And then there's people who are like emotionally smart, like can like counsel and like always really quick to share things and just have some kind of like some insight that are just amazing. They're there. But, but here's what I found. People who are really book smart and people who are even emotionally smart doesn't always mean that they're relationally smart. Y'all ever met someone who's like really smart but makes really dumb relationship decisions? Don't look at them. And... Um, <laughs> So let me help you with what relational intelligence is. So this is our series, Relational Intelligence. Watch the definition. This is what we're working with. Definition of relational intelligence is the ability to define and align your relationships. The, the, the ability to define and align your relationships. So that's what we're going to do throughout this series. We're going to define the relationships that we have in our life, and then we're going to align them to make sure that they're in the proper place. Your relationships need to be in the proper place in your life. Now, um, we're going to talk about marriage and dating and all that stuff, but today I want to focus on friends. I want to focus on friends. So this is what we're going to do to start today's. Ready? I want you, on your little note card or if you've got a phone or whatever, I want you to write down your top five friends. Don't be looking at me, okay? Like, write, write down. Right? Top five. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me just say this. Let me put some parameters. Can't be your spouse. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Baby, you're my number one. Okay, so, nope, can't be your spouse. Okay, listen, cannot be family. Cannot, cannot be family. Ready? Hold on. Cannot be your dog <laughs> or, or, or any other animal. Can't be imaginary. Okay, so <laughs> that's my only parameters right there. All right, All right now I'll write your top five friends. All right, just think through it right here real quick. If you're having a hard time, <clears throat> that's okay. We'll talk through that in just a minute, but... Just think through kind of the, your top five. Who, who are those? Who are those people in your life? Write them down, write them down, write them down. Okay. All right. Now let me share a couple of thoughts here. Um, American Sociological Review did a study and come to find out that the average American has two close friends. Two. 
Now, what they say is, though, they did this exact same study 25 years ago, so 1995, did this exact same study, and it was revealed that most people, most Americans had six close friends. So over the past 25 years, it's gone from six down to two. And then the the rest of the report said this, 25% of people, so one out of every four, count one, two, three, four, you, one, two, three, four, okay, one out of every four would say that they have none, zero, zero people in their life that they could pick up the phone at 2 a.m. and say, I need help, or hey, I need, zero. Now, here's here's the craziest part, but we do have thousands of them that are on Facebook, Right? So, so today I'm calling this message friend request. Because we get a lot of friend requests, but just because you get them doesn't mean you should actually accept them. So we're going to talk about what are the ones that you should accept and in, into, your, into your life. Now, how many, well, let's, let's go to scripture first and then we'll go. So Proverbs 18, verse 24. <clears throat> actually, let me, let me read. It, and it says this, a friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend requests on Facebook. Um, next verse says this, this person is born to like and comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. This is the FBV version. It's funny because laughter is like, it's like a wave. It's like getting to the back. It's like, <laughs> so of course, this isn't the Bible. This is our Facebook version. Let me show you the real one. This is the real one. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. <clears throat> How many remember the song, Lean On Me? Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. Come on, help me out. For it won't be long. Some of y'all aren't singing. I'm going Somebody, and then, it, and then it breaks down to that, call on your brother, and you got to do this when you need a friend, we all, okay, y'all are good, man, we got to get a choir going, okay, but what happens when you call a friend and it goes to voicemail, when you call on a brother, because you need a friend, and they go, ignore what happens? This, this, this passage tells us that one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin. So this is what it's saying, that there's going to come a time in your life and in my life when you're going to need support. You're going to need extra support. And you better make sure that you have it. Because how many know life hurts, life's messy, and life, you don't know what's coming your way. And when, when tragedy hits, it's too late to make friends, you better make them before tragedy hits. Because it says it's, it's, you're going to come to ruin. So I just wrote this down. Fake friends are like shadows. They're around when everything's bright, but they disappear when it's dark. And so you and I are going to go through some seasons in life that's going to just require some outside support from those around us. So it says, hey, one who has unreliable friends is going to come to ruin. But I love this. Watch. It, it continues, though. It gives us hope. It says, but there is a friend who sticks, what? Closer than a brother. Now, culture's definition of friendship is we just got to like the same things. We just got to have, you know, I like you, you like me, we kind of like some stuff. 
That's one level, and that's a, that's a good level to start with, but, but the biblical definition of friendship is, is they treat you like family. Right. Sticks closer than a, than a brother. How many of you got some friends who actually are closer to you than your family? Anybody, anybody got some, some friends in your life that you're not blood, but you do have a bond? Just, you, you just got these people that are in your life, and, and this is what the biblical definition of friendship is, is that, that they're, they're almost like a brother. They're, they're, they're close to you like they are to family. Now, Jesus had an incredible example when it came to in, in, um, relational intelligence. Jesus was extremely smart when it came to relationships, and there's something that Jesus, Jesus teaches, teaches us from his life, and this is what it is. Watch, watch, watch this. Everyone is to be loved biblically, valued equally, but treated differently. Everyone is to be loved biblically, valued equally, but treated differently. What do I mean by that? Loved biblically and valued equally, meaning that no matter what your age, no matter your race, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your education is, how many know everybody deserves to be treated equally and loved equally? Everyone deserves that, but not everybody needs to be treated the same. And we see this actually in Jesus' life because even though love is freely given, access is earned. And what do I mean by that? Access into my life, access into my heart, access into the deepest areas of my life. You've got to earn that. You don't just get that. And just because I love Jesus and I love you doesn't mean I allow you access into that area of my life. That is for trusted people only. And so we see in Romans 13, verse 8, it says, Oh, no man anything but to, but to love. So treating everybody right doesn't mean that we treat everybody the same. And you do this, by the way, and I do this. But just because we treat everybody right doesn't mean we treat everybody the same. And you see this in the life of Jesus. You say, well, didn't Jesus love everybody? Yes, he did. But Jesus did not treat everybody the same. Because Jesus had thousands of people that followed him, but he really only had 70 disciples. And then even out of those 70 disciples, he had 12 that he chose to be in kind of his, his groupies that were with him, his, his close ones. And then even within the 12, he had three that were even closer than that. They were kind of his inner circle, the Peter, the James, and the John. Like when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration and had this like incredible encounter with God the Father and Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and God speaks, he only brings three out of the 12. Here's the question that I want to know. How did the other nine feel about that? But he only did. He only brought three to go with him up there. And then, and then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's about to go to the cross and is in the most hardest, difficult moment of his life leading up to the cross, he's sweating blood because of his intensity of his prayers. He, guess who he brings? Three guys, Peter, James, and John. Actually, he gets extremely upset at them because he's like, hey, when I called on a brother, you were sleeping. Can't you stay awake with me? And yet what we see in Jesus' life is that he has kind of these three guys that are with him. Think about this. You have to be careful who you allow access into the greatest moments of your life and the hardest moments of your life. Jesus is so careful, he only brought three with him in both of those. Now, we buy into this thing thinking like, everybody should know about everything that I'm going through. Well, you need a safe place. And I need a safe place. Friendships should be safe places where I can share the deepest parts of me, where people can know me. And here's what I know. If you and I don't have safe places, 
We share confidential information in wrong places with wrong people, and guess what? It gets out to everybody. Anybody been there before? And, and, and then what ends up happening is we're sharing the deepest parts of our hearts with Chatty Kathy, but Chatty Kathy can't keep her mouth shut. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then you're all upset because why does she keep sharing all my stuff? And God's like, why do you keep telling her all your stuff? Like there, there has to be people, yet again, love is freely given, but access is earned. Access is earned. And so there, there needs to be people in your life. This is why Proverbs chapter four says it this way. Watch what Proverbs four says. Guard your heart. And here's the sad truth. This is the truth. Many of us spend more money guarding our house than we do our heart. We spend more time guarding our things than we do guarding the most important part because above all else, this will determine the course of my life. Now, let me say this because you can also go to the other extreme because if you've been burned or betrayed or bruised by people, you can do this, but you can overdo this. There is a difference between a wall and a gate. People that have been hurt by people put walls around their life. Here's the problem. It creates a prison for you because no one can get in and you can't get out. But how many know God didn't tell us to put a wall around our life? He said guard it, which is a gate. We put a gate, which means that I get to open it and allow access to who I want. Access granted. Someone else tries to come, you're like, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. Can I have your number? Mm-mm, not at all. No, you cannot. Nope, no, you can't. They're private messaging you on Facebook. You're like, mm-mm, deny, deny, deny. Little Instagram chat, just a mm-mm, nope, nope. And what ends up happening is, is we've opened the gate to the wrong people and closed it to the right people. Or because of hurt that's happened in our life, we have now put the wall around, and so we can never be known, we can never be loved because no one gets in because we say this, I'll hurt you before I let you hurt me. I've been down that road before. I ain't letting that happen again. Are y'all with me? Y'all been there? I've been there. And it's, and it's almost hard to trust again because if someone's backstabbed you or someone's done something to you, it's almost hard to reopen that again. But I mean, no, every relationship has to be built on trust. It has to be built on trust which trust is earned over time. It's earned over time. And so we've got to guard our heart, guard our heart. So this is what I want to do to put some practical points to this message is I want to give you four types of friends every person needs. Okay, so we're about to put all of your friendships through a, through a test. So if you're sitting, sitting by your friend, just tell them, we're about to find out right here. This is it. <laughs> This is the moment. We're going to see if you're a real friend or not. All right. So, all right. This is, this is where it begins. All right. So, this is the, these are the biblical definitions of what it is to be a friend. Now, listen. All kidding aside, this is so, so important. The people you're around is so vitally important. And so, I, I want us to look at four types of people we've, we've got to have in our life. Number one, a friend who will refresh you. A friend who will refresh you. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says it this way. Watch what it says. Sweet friendships, what do they do? They refresh my soul. Y'all know any people that do not refresh your soul? Like when you call, we were talking with our boys uh, the other day, Lindsay and I, Lindsay was saying, hey, 
telling our boys, hey, do y'all know there was a day when you did not, we, that we did not have caller ID? Right. Y'all remember the days where there was no caller ID and if the phone rang, you had to pick it up and you're like, no! <laughs> no! All the millennials know nothing about that now, but everybody else says, that's beyond that. Or the pager, remember the pager? We ain't even going back there. Okay, all right, so you couldn't filter, right? You couldn't filter. Now you can kind of fil- filter it a little bit, but, but sweet friendships, man, they refresh the soul. Like when you see their number, you're like, ah, yes. It awakens our hearts with joy. Watch what the rest of this verse says. For good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. Meaning like when I'm just around these friends, I just smell more like Jesus. Some of y'all right now, you're like, nope. You're going through your five. All right, so let's be real for a moment because here's why this is actually really important. Because if you don't enjoy being around your friends, you have to fake it. You've got to fake it. And, and, and you've got to act fake around them because you've got to be something that you're not. And it feels real awkward. Like, I, man, I really want, to, I want them to know me and I want to know them. But, I, I, man, I don't even really kind of enjoy being around. So I kind of have to, I have to fake around them. And, by the way, that just gets exhausting because then you've got to put the mask back on. Come on, you know, you just need a friend where you just take it off and it's just... Bye. All right, so you, you just need some friends that refresh you, refresh you. Number two, uh, a friend who's going to sharpen you. So Proverbs says it this way, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, sharpens a friend. And what I mean by this is that there, there are people in our life that will make us dull, but there need to be people in our life that make us, make us sharp. Now, if you know anything about sharpening a blade, especially if you're sharpening it like on a wheel of some, like a stone of something, when you're sharpening them, what flies off? Sparks fly. We're not talking about like romantic sparks either. This is sparks fly. And, and here's how you know you really got a real, real friend. And we'll get a little bit more into this in, in, in number three. But you got a really good friend when they're okay with the sparks because they ain't going anywhere. They ain't going anywhere. It's okay. I know we're going to get upset. We're going to say stuff. It's all right. But we're all about making each other better. Like, this is what ends up happening. We don't, we don't get around people who make us better. We get, we get around people who just make us feel good about ourselves. So, like, if you're stumbling and you got an alcohol addiction, it's, a, it's amazing that you hang around with a bunch of other people that struggle with alcohol because you fall and they fall, and you're like, hey, we're falling together. Yeah. You want a bud? <laughs> Like, it's amazing how we get around people who actually don't make us better. They just help us stay in the condition that we're in. Like, I'm just going to just be honest with you. If you, want a, if you want a great marriage, you need to get, get some friends around you that have a better marriage than you. If you want to get in, in shape, you need to get around some people that are in better shape than you. Like, they need to call you and go, what'd you eat today? <laughs> don't be lying to me. Don't be lying. Did you go work out? No. Okay, we're going together. Be like, shut up. I don't. (laughs) Hey, if you get up right now, we can make it to church. Get up right now. 
I'll swing by, I'll pick you up. How many know better? They make you better. They sharpen you. Doesn't mean you like it, but they sharpen you. They make, they, they make you better. Number three, a friend. Woo. Okay, so we started surface. We're getting, getting a little deeper here. Ready? A friend who will be honest with you. A friend who will be honest with you. Watch, watch what scripture says. Proverbs says it this way. You can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty, but your enemy's pretended flattery comes from insincerity. Oh, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. So here's, ready? Here's the question. Are they willing to tell me the truth? Even if I don't like it. And here's, here's why some of us really struggle with friends is because we've surrounded around our, our, ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. And if you, keep, if you make it hard for people to tell you the truth, you'll eventually only have people in your life that will tell you what you want to hear, but they'll never be a good friend. They'll never be a good friend. So like if you're derailing, hey, listen, if my fly's down, tell me. Y'all with me? Got something in my teeth? Tell me. Okay, all right, so. Like, are y'all, y'all, you know what I'm saying? But hey, listen, if, if I'm, if, if I'm not treating my wife well, I pray one of my friends will go, hey, what's up? If I'm veering from my relationship with the Lord and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm waning in my desires and passion of God, I pray somebody goes, hey, what's up? Like, what's going on? I see you're doing this more. You said you weren't gonna be doing that anymore. Have you been doing that? Like, and, and here's what I've learned, ready? This has been a very hard truth for me to learn personally, is that when I'm not willing to tell my friends the truth, it's not because I don't love them, it's because I just love me more. I I put it this way, if a person isn't willing to tell you the truth, it means they likely care more about themselves than they do you. Because here's, here's what I've learned in some deep friendships that I've had, is that when I tell my friend a truth, I risk losing them. Because I know they may not like it. But I also risk gaining an incredible friendship. (laughs) Who's married in here? Married? Okay, all right. Has has your spouse been honest with you? (laughs) Last service, and the guy was like, yes, yesterday, yesterday. (laughs) Hey, here... Here's why we're more honest in our marriages than we are in friendships. Because you'll go to a friend's house and then you'll come home and be like, man, I don't like those guys. I don't like this, I'm, right? You'll, you'll, say, you'll say the unfiltered things when you get with your spouse than you will with your friends. Ready? Here's why. Because you know your spouse won't leave. Is it not true? You won't say it to your friend because they may leave you. You won't say it to your spouse because you're like, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> now, unfortunately, that's not the case as much anymore because people will leave, but... This is, this is such a huge part for here. And so let me help you. If, if you want to identify what kind of friends you have, do they tell you the truth? Do you tell them the truth? And here's where you got to get to. A real friend is okay with hurting their friend for the short term to help them for the long term. I'm, I'm okay with hurting your feelings now 
for ultimately where I know it's going to bring you. Now, there's grace and truth, and we've all had friends that have probably said the wrong things or said it the wrong way, and we've done it. Hey, listen, we're all sinners. We've done it the wrong way. I've been a terrible friend in that many times, uh, even with my wife. I've said things that were true, but, but were mean. Right. Which, by the way, this doesn't give a reason now to be mean. <laughs> and, and then go like this. Well, it's just the truth. Y'all ever heard that? It's just the truth. Yeah, but you're a punk. So there's a way to say things. We'll maybe get into that in a little bit. But ready? Here, here's... Here's a great question. Just when's the last time someone was honest with you? When's the last time someone told you something that you didn't like? Like, look at those five, that five list that you have. When's the last time any of them actually like confronted something and said something? If not, I would evaluate where that level of friendship is. Number four is a friend will strengthen you. A friend will strengthen you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. Y'all notice this? Saul loves David. Watch this. Two chapters later. Chapter 18, watch what it says. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. Watch this next verse. And as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Question, how in chapter 16, Paul absolute, uh, uh, Saul absolutely loves David, two chapters later, he's like, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. Ready? The answer's in chapter 17. You know what happened in chapter 17? David and Goliath. Here, here's, here's what happened. Ready? Saul was perfectly fine with David being a close person to him as long as he was behind him. But as soon as he succeeded, as soon as he had some, some promotion, as soon as he said... His own insecurity got the best of this relationship. And he says, I can't, I can't handle that anymore. And, and, and so he started throwing spears. Now, t- today in age, we don't throw spears. We just throw comments. Oh, you got that job? Mm. Good for you. Oh, we do, that's what we do. But I love this. Watch. Watch how God works. Because as Saul is exiting out of David's life because he wants to kill him. Watch who enters in. First Samuel 18, verse one, and as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Sounds like Saul. But watch in, in chapter 23. This is how you know, though, that Jonathan is a true friend says, while David was at, at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh, and everybody help me with this, and helped him find, helped him find strength in God. Helped him find strength in God. Now, you got to know how powerful this story is because Jonathan is King Saul's son. Jonathan 
should be the next king. But he noticed the anointing and the call of God on David's life to be that. And, and unlike his father, who had jealousy and insecurity, he had humility and said, I see greatness on you. And me elevating your greatness doesn't make me less than, it makes me be a good friend. And in the midst of his hardest moment, his dad chasing his friend, the Bible says that Jonathan runs out and he's not loyal to his dad. He's loyal to his friend because his friend honors God. And it says that he helps him find strength in God. So, so that's my desire for all of us is that we would have people in our lives that when you don't have strength, you don't feel like you can keep going on, that you got some people in your life that can help you find strength. Notice, not strength in themselves, strength in who? Strength in God. So how do, how do we get friends like this? I, I wanna end with this. How, how do we get these kind of friends? I'm gonna give you three thoughts, we're done. Pray, pursue, prioritize. Pray, pursue, and prioritize. Begin to really pray and seek the Lord. This is one of the things that I've really been doing even this year in my own life is, God, I just, certain relationships I know that I need in my life and I've just begun to pray these things. I'm beginning to write out the types of people that I, I need that are in my life. Then I need to start pursuing those. I can't wait for people to come to me. I've got to start going and initiating those relationships. And I've got to just make it a priority. This is what I need in my life. I know what I need in my life. I need to go after it. If you're in here, and listen, if this statistic is true, 25% of you have zero, and one out of four of you have maybe two, I'm just telling you right now, if you want more of that in your life, you're going to have to pursue it, and you're going to have to prioritize it. And so that's why today we, we have Life Group Launch. It's an opportunity for you to at least start something, start somewhere, get involved in some groups, go through freedom, get, get connected into a life group, just start making some relationships. Well, Pastor Josh, what if I get hurt again? No, 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 listen. It's not a what happens if I get hurt. It's gonna be what happens when. Because how many know it's gonna happen? But I'm just here today to tell you that relationships are worth it. Relationships are worth it. You need to go fight some, for some new relationships. Some of you maybe need to sever some old relationships, but some of you need to initiate some new ones. Pray, pursue, and prioritize. Father, today, God, I thank you for all that you have spoken today, just reminding us of the influence of relationships that are around us. And God, I pray for every person that is here in this room that, God, maybe they walked in today and they feel, they feel alone. Even in the midst of so many people around them, they just feel alone. We know that's not your desire. It's not your purpose. We need people in our life to help us fulfill the purposes of God. Just like David, you brought Jonathan. Just like Moses, you brought Joshua. Just like Paul, you brought Timothy. Even for Jesus, you brought three men that came alongside of him and that helped him fulfill all that he had called, you had called him to do. Gotta pray that that would be the same. Bring purpose partners into our lives. The greatest relationship that God can bring into our life, though, is him himself. 
people will disappoint. But I'm thankful that maybe when I've even called a friend and it's gone to voicemail, there is a God that I've called and it's never gone to voicemail. He's always been faithful. He's never forsaken me. He's never left me. And if you're here in this room, the greatest relationship that you can first foremost establish is a relationship with God. He loves you so desperately much. He came because of sin that separated us from that relationship. He came and lived a life that you and I couldn't live, and he died a death that really, honestly, you and I deserve to die. And he, he bore our sin and our shame on the cross. And then he rose again. And he says, listen, if you, if you want this relationship, there's nothing you have to do but just receive. Believe and receive. If you're here in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about you don't go to church or you've even taken communion or maybe even baptized. I'm talking about if you were to die today, you know with 100% certainty that you would be standing in heaven before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you don't have 100% certainty of that, you haven't placed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you today. With no one looking around, if that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up all across this room and say, Pastor Josh, would you pray for me? I want to know, I want to know I'm like that. Thank you. Right here in the back. Anybody else? Right here in the middle. Right over here. Right over here. Anybody else? Thank you. Over here. You can put your hand down right there in the back. Five, six, seven. Anybody else? Thank you. And we're going to just pray this together, and I want you just to say this after me. But I want you to mean this from your heart, and we're going to pray this together as a, as, as a church family right alongside with you. I want you to say, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the Son of God and that you came to this earth and lived a life that I couldn't live. You were perfect. And on the cross, you took my sin and my shame and my guilt, and you died for it. And you faced hell for me so that I wouldn't have to go. And you rose again to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. And I want you to say to them and say, today, I turn from my sins and I place you as the Savior of my life. God be my Father. Jesus be my Lord. Holy Spirit be my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen.